0: Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Up Doctor, my name is Andrew Murray. Uh, from, third, from the third Friday of every month... Could you try a different mic, actually? Sure. Okay, one minute. Let me just try this one here. Number three. Let's see what number three is doing tonight. How is this one going? That sounds better, doesn't it? Okay, good. Well, uh, thank you for tuning in, uh, those who have tuned in to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Um, as I was saying, every third Friday of the month, uh, we do a one-hour, well, we do, my wife and I, um, but it's just myself and has been for a little while now, um, okay, so um, I do a radio show every uh, third Friday of the month uh, for one hour and it is a call in so from seven thirty until eight o 'clock we have the phone lines open with people asking questions related to the show and every month we do a different topic sometimes it 's a continuation of a topic that may take a month or two or even three to get through and Every month as has been the custom since about two thousand and seven now uh, we 're joined by Dr. Raymond Pete, who has uh, very much been a mentor. And a, uh, a listening ear, as well as a, an excellent guide uh, for things that I thought were true once upon a time uh, when I was at uh, university studying herbal medicine, uh, but which have just repeated doctrines uh, and dogmas of um, yeah, professors and other other, yeah. <laughs> professionals uh who were taught themselves by mainstream science in all of its uh, splendor but with its uh, very apparent uh, uh mistakes and repeated mistakes um so uh, like i said uh every third friday of the month and we're very pleased to have dr and Pete on the phone with us so let's just see if dr pete's there with us see you there yes okay well thanks so much as always for giving your time every month like you do i really appreciate it um I wanted, just for the sake of people that have tuned in or are just tuning in for the first time who may have never heard you, if you would just give a an outline of your academic and professional background so people can hear where you're coming from.
1: Um, uh, my, my early education uh, was in uh, uh, literature, painting, uh, general humanities, including philosophy. And, and then uh, after... About ten years in, in uh, 1968, I went to graduate school in biology, intending to study nerve biology, and uh, finding that that was the most dogmatic of the biological uh, studies. I, I found the uh, the most empirical uh, uh, people in the department were working on reproductive physiology, and so I did my Ph.D. in uh, basically reproductive endocrinology and physiology. Uh, 1972 was when I got my Ph.D., and I've been uh, uh, studying and writing and consulting since then.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I I want to just uh, quickly... um go back to last month and uh wrapping up um the discussion on the um effects of progesterone and how uh, the protect and synapse studies were flawed and how that whole thing um which showed in the paper that progesterone was not effective actually had some very bad designs in the trials and the flawed studies were quite apparent when you looked at the science objectively and so we gave people information about that and where to go but i i just wanted to say in the uh And it's kind of shocked me a little bit because they don't often say these kind of things, a little bit like their reversal on coconut oil being actually good for you now and uh, the the liquid oils may may actually be harmful. Um, The American Congress of Obstetricians and and Gynecologists actually um, gave a few guidelines, and I found that these were pretty stunning given the the debate about sugar. They said that um, diet, and this was in relation to easing premenstrual syndrome, uh, and, and this was in relation to um, estrogen and progesterone, mainly estrogen supposedly being the good uh, the good hormone and progesterone being the bad, but we know it's the other way around. They said that uh, keeping blood sugar levels up with more smaller frequent meals might be helpful. So I know you've been a, a big proponent of keeping blood sugar up um, with something, uh, whether it's uh, liquid milk or orange juice or some liquid food or, in fact, a, you know, a sh- a carbohydrate or sugar-containing food every two hours. I thought that was pretty good. And they also mentioned calcium and magnesium, um, both found in yogurt and leafy vegetables, for example. And that magnesium might alleviate uh, mood swings and physical symptoms like bloating from water retention. So uh, they're actually giving a thumbs up to sugar, magnesium and calcium, which is good. Um, before uh, we move onto the subject of sleep and repair, uh, in this month's uh, show, I wanted to go over... Um, what you might um, be able to describe in your terms as the benefits of positive thinking. Uh, And also just wanted to mention uh, for those people that have tuned in, the number to reach us is 707-923-3911. So from 7.30 until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, that's the number to call with questions. So I wanted to explore the remodeling uh, of reality, which is possible from exercising the conscious mind through higher ideals, through positive affirmations, and that this remodeling also benefits the physical body in terms of cell repair, like sleep. And that's going to be one of the topics for uh, a larger part of this show. Now, biblically, the prophets spoke to the people in terms that they could relate to, and they used agrarian concepts and analogies like sowing and reaping, harvest and famine, pestilence and abundance. And now the mind It really can be viewed as a garden also, and a good gardener tends his garden. So negative thoughts like doubt and feelings of inadequacy and fear are the weeds which spring up automatically in your garden, sometimes out-competing the very garden of prosperity with its fruits and flowers, which we all have access to, with a positive mind. So universal quantum and spiritual laws govern our lives, and if you think any other, you're wrong. The soil is your mind, the seed is the thought, The water is your action, and the sun is your feelings. Whatever you plant in your mind and water, the same will also have to grow. There are times or seasons, and you've heard phrases like when the time is right or in due season, for the descriptive spark which ignites the flame of action. So be careful what you plant and give yourself to. And positive affirmations and the cultivation of a beautiful garden of the mind – benefit the organism in ways which science is just beginning to put into words as we are now ready to understand and I've said many times that we're in the age of knowledge and it is exponentially increasing quantum physics now explains the observer effect as best demonstrated by the double slit experiment which shows that the very act of observing interacts with the observed affecting the outcome and the same can be inferred that the mind and thoughts can and do affect conscious reality and physical health. So what comes to your mind, Dr. Pete, listening then to the subject of positive affirmation and that your mind is a garden? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, In between uh, working in uh, literature and linguistics and going uh, back to school to study biology, I had an experimental college, Blake College, uh, and my theory there was that Uh, there are uh, deliberate attempts to plant bad seeds Mm -hmm. in our garden. Mm -hmm. And uh, my approach to education was that if you uh, create the right environment, people can uproot those planted bad seeds and uh, create themselves a a fresh, new uh, way of looking at at the world. And uh, we found that uh, people who had thought they were... uh, Inferior students in just uh, four or five or six months uh, in that environment where they were uh, expected to uh, to be fully functioning became fully functioning and uh, uh, achieved more in five or six months than the average American college graduate achieves in, in the, the whole four years.
0: And this is through a kind of more of a uh, liberal, for the sake of the word being liberal, um, uh, philosophies to the subject of understanding and learning rather than just rote memory and recapitulation of facts. Uh,
1: yeah, because lots of bad intentions are being implanted along with the uh, educational indoctrination that most people are getting
0: yeah i mean you've you 've had complete access to that indoctrination in your own studies in terms of what the professors uh, believed and what attitudes they had towards students that were um, challenging that with some kind of uh, new new science perspective, which actually wasn't new, which was actually probably eighty or a hundred years old, but had been supplanted, if you were, if you if you like, by the the new dogma, especially in genetics and in this genetic determinism, the whole the whole uh, theory of it.
1: Um, yeah, which was powered largely by a, a political ideology,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Malthusianism and uh, genetic determinism were were um, very consciously political ideas, which were then uh, accepted into science, supposedly, because the, the funding came from the people with that political orientation. Yeah.
0: It's it's not a long stretch, but what do you think about faith healing? Uh, just to put it out there, I haven't uh, asked you, to, haven't prepped you with these questions, but well, I'm just well. Want...
1: well uh, that's uh, exactly analogous to what we were doing at Blake College was uh, heal, healing people from the, the cultural disease that really? had uh, been given, and uh, the, there's a, a fairly recent book, last uh, twenty years, I think it was published uh, by Larry Dossey uh, called. Uh, I think words that heal or healing words, something like that. Uh, and uh, an older book uh, published in, in Russian in 1930 and then in English in 1959 uh, words as uh, physiological and therapeutic factors, uh, the, the, the word as a way to handle ideas and thoughts. In both of these cases, uh, they're treating uh, words or thoughts as healing physiological factors. Uh, So it's it's exactly uh, putting in the scientific terms uh, that idea of faith healing.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think that the concept um, of, uh, because I've always said, and I've I've long believed it is true, uh, fortunately or unfortunately for some or even myself, but uh, in terms of medicine, I often find the word, diagnosis it's almost a kiss of death for some people um when when you get a diagnosis for something and and the doctors or the scientists want to put it in terms that uh will help you come to terms with what it is that they're diagnosing you with uh, i find that when people don't actually uh, because i have quite a a lot of contact with people who uh, as you can imagine um and obviously from your background come from an alternative background and they're not sold on mainstream medicine they're not sold on mainstream science but they're very open minded um, and able to understand concepts which certainly are based in science and um, which maybe they haven't really heard of too much of but it's there when they go searching for it. These people um, that I consult with that maybe haven't had a diagnosis that they will tell me in terms of symptoms uh, and or other physical um, facts uh, point me in a direction where although i'm not saying it as a diagnosis um because that's not what i do it's in terms of uh, just generally counseling with people and uh, recommending changes that will be positive um those people that come with a diagnosis i think sometimes a diagnosis is a very roadblock to their um, improvement and when they haven't come with a diagnosis but i'm fairly sure what a diagnosis would be if they're in front of a traditional doctor um they make some pretty quick progress through through uh, through change
1: Um, partly because I I had the experience of of my father having been diagnosed as a diabetic, and uh, he had uh, acquaintances who were dependent on injecting insulin every day, and he he didn't like that idea. So he wasted away to, I think it was less than 100 pounds before uh, searching in in libraries. They found old books that... uh, described using brewer's yeast, and uh, for a few weeks he lived on pure brewer's yeast and completely overcame the, uh, the conversion of food to, to uh, glucose in the urine and uh, put on weight and lived uh, 40 years, 45 years more. And uh, that caused me to uh, ask people uh, how their di- diabetes was diagnosed. And over the years that I've been doing that, 40 or 50 years, uh, I've only found two or three people who actually had a a sane diagnosis in terms of what was known at the time. Uh, For example, in the 1940s, it was known that excessive cortisol would create all the symptoms of diabetes, uh, wasting away of the muscles and other tissues, are turning it into glucose. Uh, and uh, as I uh, inquired, I found that uh, the, um, the practical uh, approach to diabetes was simply to uh, see if they had high blood sugar, maybe even sugar in the urine, and then prescribe the insulin or one of the uh, other treatments to lower the blood sugar but uh, I, I don't recall ever running into someone whose uh, cortisol and, and prolactin and parathyroid hormone and all of the relative things, and growth hormone and so on, whether those were even considered at all in the diagnosis.
0: <laughs> so uh, as, a, as, a, as a, a separate subject, perhaps I wasn't going to go in this direction, but we don't have to go there for long, but do you, um, do you definitively see... Um, diabetes as as an example here, of pancreatic islet cell destruction per se in terms of you probably see the destruction in terms of a different process or Um, is it not, you don't define it like that even?
1: Yeah, it it becomes a side effect of whatever is Mm -hmm. is healing you. Uh, The the stress, which might be uh, malnutrition or emotional stress, Mm -hmm. uh, overwork, uh, uh, many things can cause the high cortisol which then damages the beta cells uh, and the uh, mobilizing the fats from storage during stress uh, a lack of sleep for example creates mm-hmm. a, a diabetic condition right. and, and chronic stress including uh, poor sleep quality uh, leads to the, the hormonal situation which damages the pancreas and the uh, The fatty acids, uh, when you are uh, treating it improperly, you keep exposing the pancreas to these toxic fatty acids. When it turns out that glucose, when it's uh, predominant in the blood, uh, causes regeneration from stem cells, uh, regeneration and uh, uh, differentiation of new beta cells, but Uh, When you're under stress and improperly treated, your free fatty acids and cortisol uh, come in and, and kill the new cells.
0: All right, good. Well, let's hold it there for a moment because I think uh, when I, I get into your um, sleep and aging newsletter, I think there's reference and relevance uh, to the, the question of diabetes in there. So uh, for those people who've just tuned in or just uh, listening to the show now, from 7.30 to 8 p.m., we'll open the phone lines up uh, to question Dr. P either about this month's subject or going to be the sleep and aging uh, and or the opening topic of positive thinking. Uh, the number to reach us is 707 923 Nine one one. Okay, so Dr. Pete, sleep and aging. Then, so concerning sleep and the varying lengths one species needs compared to another, do you see sleep more necessary for brain repair, or restructuring and energy renewal, uh, or for tissue repair throughout the body, or all, all of it? What do you suggest is a, and then what do you suggest is a minimum number of hours for a sleeping adult? Uh, uh,
1: the rest of your body. Uh can't repair itself unless it has a brain in good working order, but the, the most sensitive thing to the stress is, is the brain itself, but uh, when the brain can't, can't repair itself and impose the resting state on the rest of the organism, then you get things like the, the chronic excess of free fatty acids and cortisol, which destroy not only the pancreas, but all of the other organs to, to different degrees.
0: So these stress hormones directly affect sleep?
1: Um, uh, yeah, the, the, um, when the blood sugar isn't able to produce the carbon dioxide that it should, it's wasted, uh, becomes uh, a lactic acid rather than carbon dioxide, uh, raises the pH of the cell interior, uh, creates a, a catabolic uh, excited state, uh, in which the, the brain cells ultimately end up dying or, or being uh, blocked uh, so that they can't act even if they stay alive uh, and uh, the in reaction to the falling uh, oxidation of, of glucose, uh, you get the, the rise of adrenaline which uh, tries to uh, activate cells uh, it uh, provides first it provides more glucose if you have that in storage and that can remedy the situation. That's, that's why, it, why it's there. Uh, the adrenaline should bring up the glucose and stop the stress reaction. But if you don't have enough stored glucose, then you resort to the cortisol level of, of stress adaptation. The cortisol provides the glucose by breaking, breaking down your muscle cells and thymus, skin cells, turning it into uh, glucose. And if if that glucose uh, doesn't solve the problem, uh, then you you get a, a chronic, recurring uh, stress, uh, low blood sugar, uh, increased adrenaline, increased cortisol, and, and whole breakdown process.
0: Okay, so I think getting getting onto uh, the subject of how uh, science and scientists view the brain. Um, and, and in terms of its overarching control of uh, the body and homeostasis um there seems to be kind of two trains of thought where um they have what they call quote unquote the cognitive scientists thinking of the brain as a computer uh, and then other more open-minded scientists um looking at the brain as a um, a kind of cybernetic control system with a um, uh, kind of a, a, a life. Obviously, it's alive, but a kind of life of its own in terms of being an autonomous functioning unit, rather than an on-off switch. Uh,
1: Norbert Wiener, who invented cybernetics in the English-speaking world, uh, he I would consider uh, the uh, probably the best uh, uh, information theorist. Uh, in terms of of the brain and how it works uh, as a a control mechanism integrated intimately with the metabolism of the body. Uh, So it's a a metabolic control system as well as uh, an interpreter of how the body relates to its ecosystem. Um, uh, Relative to uh, Norbert Wiener's view of the organism, I think you could consider the average cognitive scientist as somewhat autistic or or abstracted out of reality.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, Moving on to the subject of uh, uh, energy and um, what I understand now um, through talking to you and um, working with others, in terms of um, what you've always mentioned as the Achilles tendon reflex being a predominant indicator uh, of hypothyroidism because the energy state of the cell in a healthy cell ultimately is charged, electrically charged, positively rested and ready um, to begin an action potential and that in the tendon reflex when there's a slow return to the resting state uh, that shows that the cell has been overstimulated and just like in sleep um, if we don't get enough sleep we are essentially uh, too excited in terms of people that are insomniacs for example too excited to be able to get that relaxation so that we have that energy in the morning when we get up like we do when we're healthy and strong and we get lots of sugar in our diet and our thyroids are good and vitamin D and everything else and calcium so that we're charged and ready to go. So the, the ability to relax and to accumulate energy and the substance for differentiation then, this is a uh, predominantly oxidative, high-energy um, production system.
1: Um, and uh, as an A third dimension of this, uh, comparing the brain to the cramping uh, calf muscle in the Achilles reflex test, Uh, if you think of the cancer cell as an energy-deprived, overexcited cell, it has the exact situation of the uh, fatigued or or seizing brain cells or, or the cramping muscle cells. Uh, a deficiency of sugar or oxygen uh, will cause cramping in the muscles, uh, insomnia or seizure in the brain, and compulsive growth and diffusion in a cancer cell.
0: And so this excitot- what we call excitotoxicity, um, the term for this then it would refer very well to cancer cells. They're just it completely excited and unable to. Uh, relax. Ultimately, I, 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 apart from apoptosis and the regular cell death uh, mechanisms by which normal cells or the body maintains its normalcy rather than growing out of control or out of uh, out of the bounds of um, you know what's needed of it.
1: Some, some doctors have mentioned that you could diagnose cancerous lymph nodes in the armpit uh, in in relation to breast cancer just by touching them without needing to do a biopsy because. It turns out that cancer cells are hardened the same way a cramped muscle is hardened. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just by the touch of of a cancer cell, it shouldn't be hard. It should be relaxed and full of energy, ready to work. But it's in the cramped working state.
0: Right, interesting, okay, so well, this is when they they describe these things okay, so, Well, here's the thing they go, don't they describe soft tumors and hard tumors aren't they uh, don't they have a different the doctors as it is, you know don't have a differentiation for these kind of tumors or
1: well the, the um the soft tumor is harder than that tissue is normally
0: right. Right, okay, so the, the, the heart tumors is just at the stage beyond that. Okay, all right, well, it's coming up to 7.30 now, so if people want to call in about this month's topic, uh, sleep and aging and or the uh, positive thoughts, affirmations and how that controls our reality uh, in terms of the double slit experiment and the actual evidence of the, an observer effect changing the state of the observed and the whole quantum physics thing uh, i know it's a pretty big subject but i think it's it's totally open um to uh, debate uh, in terms of supporting its uh, its tenants the number is 707 uh, do see the light flashing so i think we do have our first caller caller you're on the air what's your question away you from
2: uh yeah from uh brooklyn and uh question is right on topic um about a month ago um out of the blue uh i developed a, a rash on my neck uh inside of my forearms and in my underarms just red it's not it's just very red and, and bumpy so it appears like there's a little bit of fibrosis never had this before other than that have no issues um you know 60ish um and at night it <clears throat> wakes me up or seems to be correlated with waking up between one and and two, literally only sleeping like two and a half hours, three hours. Then I'm up for several hours and I go back to sleep. So the comment about sleep and aging and the comment about sort of diagnosis um, sort of is brought together here with this issue because I did go to a dermatologist and they said, oh, you have this rash, and they gave me a product um, called Triamcinolone Acetonide cream, which has precautions of allegedly reversible HPA axis suppression, manifestations of Cushing syndrome, hyperglycemia, and uh, glucosuria, all of which um, apparently are reversible. So I didn't fill it, but it's been 30 days. I've tried a bunch of different things, kind of like your father did with the brewer's yeast, and the thing is still there. So I was just wondering for what would say an otherwise... You know, Ray P type diet, which has been very positive with eyesight, you know, muscle strength, no pain in the joints. All that's good, but this rash comes out of nowhere and it's literally going on a month now. So it's becoming chronic, which has elevated my concern. So in summary, I I didn't take uh, the antibiotic they provided. and I'm not taking anything other than putting, you know, some aloe vera on it. Somebody recommended something called rosehip oil which does have, you know, maybe some PUFA-related um, additives, um, and something called, you know, black human seed oil, which also has omega-6s in it, I mean, 50%. But these are things I've been trying, and I was just wondering whether you have any commentary on both the sleep issue and you know what one might do to to get rid of the stress associated with this skin rash.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I know the, the quickly the rosehip oil was probably a vitamin C component of that. Although you mentioned the oil was probably a polyunsaturated. But Doctor Pete, um, what do you uh, what do you have to say about the rash that he's just described?
1: Uh, the first thing I would do, or that I do, whenever I have a symptom like that, is to uh, put lots of uh, sodium chloride. Uh, get it for ice cream freezers so you can put a couple of pounds in a bathtub and about a pound of baking soda and make a slightly hyperosmotic solution and soak in it for a while, and that usually takes care of, of minor uh, skin problems. But um, uh, some people uh, make a, a an application of baking soda and sodium chloride uh, just as a soothing Thing, but it has much of the effect that a drug like triamcinolone or the glucocorticoids in mm-hmm. general, which doctors love because they <laughs> right. uh, they'll make everything feel better, even if it's <laughs> making you uh, sick in the long run.
2: Yeah, exactly. It was definitely a Band-Aid approach, kind of what Andrew was saying earlier. So you're saying a pound of sodium chloride? That's not salt, though. It's you got to say, it's be uh, yeah, careful.
1: Yeah. Right. Just any clean salt and standard baking soda. Make a, a fairly salty bath and soak in it for half an hour or more.
2: Okay, so it's a, it's a pound of baking soda and a pound of sodium chloride?
1: Something like that. It doesn't okay. have to be exact, but uh, when people experiment with uh, the solutions, it can be uh, up to uh, two or three times as concentrated as seawater, and the average seawater is about twice as concentrated As our body fluids for sodium.
2: How how about like uh, that dry CO2 you talked about in the
1: past? Is that worth doing too? Or is Is that
2: that CO2? The
1: dry CO2 bath, is that? Uh, uh, Well, uh, the baking soda has that function because the sodium holds the bicarbonate in solution so it doesn't bubble out of the warm water. But your body has such a high affinity for carbon dioxide that it will pull even the bicarbonate will be uh, pulled into your body against the gradient uh, which the body's already pretty concentrated with, with CO2 but the uh, bicarbonate will uh, help to increase that um, and the warm water doesn't hold much of gaseous carbon dioxide but it's a healing component in mineral water which is carbonated but um, it's a very low concentration compared to what you could get from the, the baking soda. And a pure CO2 dry bath is uh, instantly uh, starts raising your body's carbon dioxide with the anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, uh, there's a good article uh, published in a, a U.S., I think, um, Michigan State Medical Journal, uh, 1905, uh, on uh, the, the uses of a, a carbon dioxide gas bath. Uh, you don't... So
2: is that is, is that good to do as a separate matter, like for thirty minutes? I mean, it makes your. I did it once, and it it was cold initially, but then it sort of makes your
1: skin hot, which is yeah. kind of odd. Uh, yeah, because it relaxes the blood vessels, and um, when you um, notice your skin getting pink, that means you're fairly well saturated with it. Got it. So, just so does
2: it matter whether you do it ten minutes or thirty minutes or an hour? Is it, it does it matter, or does or is it better to do it like maybe, given that I have a chronic condition, like a few times every day or a couple times a day until this goes away? Or is yeah, it... yeah. I think it's fine to do it
1: an hour or more every day if you're doing something like strengthening your bones. Uh, some recent uh, Japanese studies have tried it, uh, applying it externally to the skin for squamous cancer of the mouth uh, and getting good results.
2: Right, right. Okay, that's great.
1: Um, and the sleep thing about be getting up
2: between... So I get up, and then, like, I have a carrot salad or something, and say a glass of milk, and then I use the red lamp, and I can get back to sleep, but that's a lot of work. I mean, seems um, like I ought to be, you know, to your point about degeneration of the brain, et cetera. I mean, my brain seems okay right now, but... Um, you know, getting a, a straight shot of six hours, you know, with three one-and-a-half-hour cycles, maybe a little bit of dreaming would be a much better thing than waking up at, you know, sleeping three-and-a-half hours, waking up for two hours, then sleeping another three-and-a-half hours to get seven or, or four hours to get seven-and-a-half hours of sleep.
1: I, I think the, the main thing that causes that age-related uh, interrupted sleep is uh, that uh, things like decreased thyroid function slow your digestive processes. And as your blood sugar falls uh, in darkness and when you're sleeping, the falling blood sugar uh, lets you uh, experience a a toxic reaction to whatever is in your intestine. uh, And the uh, irritation, inflammation, and absorption of endotoxin and surges of serotonin from the intestine. Uh, those get into the bloodstream, uh, finish off your stored glycogen, and uh, wake you up with a stress reaction. And, and so uh, trying to have the, the calmest, cleanest intestine possible uh, at, at bedtime. Uh, so, Does that mean
2: having a carrot salad before bed or something? Because it doesn't seem like I have a stomach ache or any problems or anything. I mean, maybe is it always the case that it has to be the intestine? You know, I mean, I don't know, I guess. And What what do you do to prevent this? uh,
1: Having a a carrot salad or a good bowl of cooked mushrooms or or some slightly antiseptic fiber like that in in the early afternoon uh, Mm -hmm. and and then uh, having a a fairly low-protein, high-carbohydrate supper right before bed uh, like ice cream or, or um, a chicken broth that's very salty—a combination of salt and sugar—right at bedtime uh, helps to uh, relax the intestine for a longer period.
0: Okay, well we do have another caller on the line, caller. I, I appreciate, I appreciate you calling in and I uh, just want to make sure we give time to other people that are lined up. For those who are listening, uh, the number here is 707-923-3911, uh, with Dr. Pete on the line. Uh, so let's take this next call. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Hello?
2: Am I on the
0: air? Yeah, where are you from and what's your question? I-
2: I'm from Arcata, uh, California.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I have a question about the brewer's yeast and the diabetes, and uh, I'll take an answer off the air, but I'm just wondering, I have to give myself an insulin injection every day. I'm very attracted uh, to the idea of not having to do that, but how might one, well, A, why does brewer's yeast work, and did uh, Dr. Pete's father just? Eat nothing but Burr's yeast. Uh, how, how might one transition from a possibly healing Burr's yeast diet and get off insulin, or anyway, uh, that—that's my question. Just some elaboration on diabetes and brewer's yeast. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: I think one of the functions of brewer's yeast is the high. Is elaboration you? on.
0: Okay, you need to turn your... Uh, to hang, hang up the phone, I think, so. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Pete. See oh,
1: oh, the high niacin content of the brewer's yeast uh, is a, a very effective thing for lowering the free fatty acids. And the free fatty acids are the main things killing the beta cells. And uh, the, there are a couple of articles on glucose and diabetes on my website that... Uh, Describe the uh, results of a couple of doctors in the late uh, 19th century uh, and a high sugar diet. But uh, niacin and sugar are two things that hold down the liberation of the toxic uh, free fatty acids. Uh, and the, anything you can do to uh, interfere with those uh, uh, free fatty acids which are toxic to the pancreas will help it heal.
0: Okay, good. All right, let's hold it there. Um, okay, so unless uh, no, there's no one else at the moment, let's just check in with the engineer. There's no, Okay, good. All right, so actually, I had a question, Michael from Webway calling. Okay, go ahead. Can
2: you talk a little about water and the best water and about how much water and the importance of water
0: in uh, the I know Doctor Pete doesn't really believe in drinking water, but let's ask Doctor Pete what his uh, opinion is about water. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Um, if you're really thirsty, water is what you need. But uh, if you're drinking milk and uh, orange juice to get your calories and protein and calcium and so on, uh, you usually don't need any plain water because uh, the amount of uh, water you're taking in to get those nutrients uh, is usually on the order of a gallon or so.
0: Okay, there you go. Good. All right, well, the lights have started flashing in the studio again, so the engineer is answering the call. Let's Let's see if you have another caller here. No, okay, they hang up. All right. So, uh, Dr. P., I just wanted to move on in terms of the um, sleep and aging uh, article that um, you mentioned here that the concentration of cortisol found in the blood started to increase when the light was turned off and that this darkness is a... A stimulus uh, for cortisol production and uh, now this is whether the person was asleep or not so just the pure presence of darkness obviously this is why the long winter nights are probably very damaging for most people because they just don't get enough exposure to sunlight and um, showing that the um, stress of darkness creates an inefficient catabolic state where you start breaking yourself down and this is mainly from cortisol again in order to generate glucose and that see- sleep to some extent, reduces the stress. But um, you mentioned, uh, and this is, again, part of red light therapy and red light treatment that people use just during the daytime for things like skin uh, conditions, as you mentioned, uh, that first caller from Brooklyn, perhaps uh, the red light there. Um, But um, that red light itself is an electron-quenching wavelength of light um, that um, the the stress of darkness, you know, we we, we sleep every night. And our, this month about the uh, article on stress, uh, sorry, sleep and aging, uh, the stress of darkness uh, is itself very damaging. And um, you mentioned here where cortisol rises generating uh, free fatty acids and all those stress hormones that are very harmful to us. But yet the sleep is so necessary uh, and deep sleep especially so necessary for tissue repair um, and you know, cell healing. Um, that it's a kind of uh, double-edged sword. You know, you, you get uh, exposed to darkness whether you're sleeping or not, but especially when you're asleep, and your cortisol starts to rise. Um, but that red light, and exposure, a pre-pre bedtime exposure to red light, can mitigate a lot of this.
1: Um, yeah, the the Chinese study found that it not only improved the. The depth of the sleep, but it improved the uh, athletic performance the, the next day after the good sleep, uh, following the red light tree treatment. Wow. Um, about 40 years ago, someone uh, experimented with putting living tissue, uh, for example, a seed was a very uh, self-contained, easy-to-study material. Uh, they found that uh, if it was exposed to Uh, ultraviolet light or sunlight, and and then you put it in an electron spin resonance machine or or paramagnetic resonance uh, device um, to to measure free radicals or free electrons. But after the uh, ultraviolet light exposure, it uh, kept in the machine that would show free radicals or free electrons for hours and hours without any new exposure. But if they, uh, right after putting it in the machine, if they shined red light on it, it went quiet. The red light just knocked out the free radicals immediately. And experiments with uh, gamma rays on frogs uh, showed the same thing. Uh, A dose of gamma rays that would kill the frogs, uh, if it was followed immediately by red light exposure, it quenched the excited uh, electrons,
0: and the, the frogs didn't die. Oh. Uh, in, in the past, we've uh, talked about, we've done a show on red light and uh, light in general in terms of this uh, anti-inflammatory effect. What kind of um, distance under the skin, I mean, do you think red light will penetrate the, the deepest uh, core of the body?
1: Um, uh, yeah, you, you know, when someone is, has, has their back to the sun, how red their ears look, or if you put a flashlight under your hand in the dark, mm-hmm. You see the red light coming right through your, your hand. Uh, one night I let my eyes get adapted by uh, sleeping until about four in the morning and then put a red light behind my thigh. And I could, my whole thigh uh, was uh, illuminated a bright red color, except the bone left a shadow right. it was like an X ray. <laughs>
0: Okay. All right. So uh, I wanted to carry on here with just another uh, reference to the uh, permanently contracted, unable to relax state of cells, uh, and this relationship um, to stress, and in the the elderly. Okay. So most. And again, I, I'm fortunate, you know. I'm not. I, I don't know about you. I think you probably have very good sleep too. But I've never had a problem sleeping, and I sleep. Oh, I can sleep for ten hours for sure, and I wake up feeling just fine, and I don't get any kind of insomnia. If I wake up at all in the night, I'm back to sleep in, in about thirty seconds, and so. With old people though, right? As people get older, they talk about people needing less sleep and I think this is a a, a bit of a misnomer. I don't think people need less sleep. I think people need the same amount of sleep and when they don't get it, they get less relaxation. So they, they talk about the elderly and that their heart's failing and the muscle being another typical muscle. I mean, although cardiac and skeletal muscle do have physiological differences, they're still muscles. And when the cardiac muscle can't relax just like a skeletal muscle can't relax when it's overexcited and it the thyroid hormone is not adequate enough to allow relaxation fully um they they basically get these heart heart failure um type pictures uh, scenarios coming on uh, as part of their old age and it's not at all related to their old age it's because they just don't they don't have enough relaxation going on So uh how, how about this in terms of uh, the elderly and uh, the inability to uh, relax or their insomnia and it's related to their cardiac cycle?
1: I, I think it's exactly the same thing the, uh, the, the heart doesn't beat strongly because it doesn't relax fully uh, the the diastolic uh, relaxation just isn't there as the energy production decreases. And the same thing with the brain. The the relaxation is impaired the same way as the heart relaxation.
0: Hmm. All right. So now getting on to that, uh, revisiting rather, the the red light thing, that um, you've you've stated in your newsletter here that if you're exposed to it at the beginning of the night, it can not only uh, improve your sleep but also the next day's performance, and this was a a Japanese uh, uh, paper that was written in 2012. So they have objectively looked at the performance of a group of people that they were studying who actually physically performed better the next day directly proportional to their red light exposure the night before. Um, Yes. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, incredible. Okay. So uh, the number here, if anyone's listening and they want to question Dr. Pete, uh, is... 707-923-3911 707-923-3911 um so i had a question that was posed uh, by a person i think they wrote this wrote this question in and i wonder actually if it may have got asked last month but let me ask you again um somebody who was uh, wondering about using pregnenolone uh and i think because of Bad publicity, or whatever else, you know, that they've been worried about pro- progesterone and pregnenolone, they've kind of put them in the same basket. Um, they've read about this subject called pregnenolone steal, uh, where people with worn out adrenals, apparently, uh, get this issue where pregnenolone is stolen and converted into cortisol. Is that even possible?
1: Oh, uh, whenever you are. Making cortisol, you're making it from uh, pregnenolone, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you, you should have uh, a huge excess of pregnenolone and progesterone and only make small amounts of the terminal uh, hormones such as cortisol and estrogen uh, as needed. Uh, but the, the bulk of the steroids produced uh, should be heavily in favor of, of pregnenolone and progesterone because those are stabilizing materials. I don't even consider those to be hormones. Right. Uh, uh, the only uh, direct action that, that has been identified for pregnenolone is that it um, helps tissues give up excess water and it allows the fascia, the connective tissue, to regain its normal tone and so it can when you reach the right level it can make wrinkles in your your saggy neck uh, skin disappear <laughs>
0: okay all right uh well let's take this next caller uh caller you're on the air where are you from what's your question
2: i'm up on wilder ridge i wanted to know about the red light is it like a light bulb that, a lamp that you have on in your bedroom or I wanted you to elaborate on the red light.
1: Uh, Well, the the sunlight or any incandescent light bulb has a spectrum. The sunlight is the middle of the sun spectrum is yellow. Uh, The middle of an incandescent light bulb spectrum is orange. Uh, And uh, you get the the full red light benefit either from sunlight or, or incandescent light bulbs. You don't have to get rid of it except for convenience you don't want a a brilliant uh, shiny room around you if you're trying to relax and so the the dim quality of bright red light it it isn't necessarily any brighter than a a, a 200 watt uh, incandescent bulb would be but uh, you don't need the the blue and green part of the spectrum for, for the therapeutic effect
2: those bulbs that are supposed to be like daylight, would, are they too bright?
1: Um, uh, no, if you don't need the, the bright white light. Uh, during the daytime, I have a, a 250 watt reflector bulb called uh, an infrared bulb, but it, it looks like an ordinary white light, but it runs at a lower temperature than a, a standard uh, bright uh, incandescent bulb, so it's heavier on the the red part of the spectrum i got
2: you thank you so much for your time and your effort and all your love dr pete you're
0: awesome okay thank you for your call caller thank you so uh, again presumably uh the more skin uh you can bear to a red light the better the absorption of the light although i'm sure to some extent whether you're wearing t-shirt or a light shirt red light will uh, penetrate some of that
1: uh, yeah people have experimented yeah. with uh, Pigeons, uh, <laughs> despite their feathers, uh, uh, they can uh, see the, the systemic effect coming through their, their body because okay. the red light penetrates uh, pretty much anything living material.
0: Cool. All right, we have another we have another caller. So, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from, and what's your question?
1: Your question is related to the uh,
2: points just made on the preganolone. How do you know whether you need it? I mean, you mentioned older people and stuff. I mean, because I think in previous shows, Dr. Pete, you said you took it for a while, and now you no longer take it. So I'm just wondering, how does one decide whether whether you should be taking it or not?
1: Um, In the 1980s, when I first uh, experimented with it, uh, a lot of younger people wanted to try it. And uh, good, healthy people in their 30s and early 40s felt nothing. They could take a spoonful and have absolutely no noticeable effect. But uh, when someone was in their late 40s or early 50s and feeling hopeless and depressed, even a pinch of it, 15 or 20 milligrams in 15 minutes, their faces would light up and they would grin and, and get ambitious projects going again, decide not to quit their, their job. So if, when you need it, it's a very vivid effect, even with a small amount. Okay, so you're saying that you would the trigger
2: would be, hey, if you're feeling really down. But if you're not feeling really down, you're doing all the other stuff, and your energy's pretty steady, and you're as lucky as Andrew to sleep the way he sleeps, that's pretty impressive. You know, then you're know, then you saying your body probably makes enough of it? Yeah. Okay, and that's probably why you don't take it. The other thing is on water, I think in one of your write-ups, you, you mentioned water earlier. Um, babies are 80% water and older people are 55% water. So I'm just I'm just wondering, and I guess high metabolic rate relates to high water percentage in the body. If you're older, how is it not possible if you have dropped to a much lower percentage of water that you wouldn't need more water? Maybe it's sparkling water to get the CO2.
1: I'm at, yeah, the CO2 and the ATP are the things that hold good water in the cells while squeezing out unwanted, improper water. Uh, Pregnenolone, progesterone, uh, ATP, and CO2 all have that uh, effect on the cytoplasm in particular to uh, keep it from uh, taking on disorganized water, but making it hang on to the water that's organized and uh, running its uh, metabolism. So I, I think old people will take up a, a lot of cellular metabolic water that inc- increases their metabolic rate when they repair their mitochondria, uh, reduce the stress hormones.
2: So you're saying there's good water and bad water in, in it, uh, hanging around your cells? And...
1: And, uh, yeah, a uh, uh, healthy uh, kids. A cell that contains lots of water is metabolizing uh, intensely um, keeping its CO2 up and its uh, lactic acid down and uh, that the water is part of, of uh, letting the cell run at, at a high rate and you can uh, restore some of that uh, metabolic active water uh, with those things such as progesterone pregnenolone thyroid and carbon dioxide. Okay, great great answers. One one
2: last quick question. Vitamin, I'll just get off. Vitamin A, D, K. How do you know what ratio and how much you actually need, particularly for, you know, people as you age? Uh, I mean, how do you know that and how do you get it? What's the ratio, for example, of A to D? Is it 5 to 1? Is it 4 to 1? Or...
1: um, I, I don't think there's a definite ratio because as your thyroid function increases, you're able to use lots of vitamin A in making pregnenolone and progesterone. Uh, it's uh, coordinated with uh, thyroid hormone and cholesterol to convert cholesterol into the good hormones. And if your thyroid is low, then uh, too much vitamin A uh, interferes and lowers the thyroid function.
0: Can I ask you a quick question, Dr. Pete? I, I know we've got to wrap it up here because it's just a couple of minutes at to the top of the hour, but in terms of pregnenolone and its production, or rather its conversion, cholesterol is the main building block from which these hormones are built from, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, and, and the reason uh, cholesterol rises with age is that things like low, low thyroid function and low vitamin A availability uh, interfere with the production of pregnenolone and progesterone, and so your body uh, compensates by increasing the cholesterol, uh, and uh, the cholesterol increase can cause your tissue production of pregnenolone and progesterone to increase uh, it, to, to, um, uh, up, up to the, the limit of, of uh, the cell's capability governed by vitamin A and and thyroid.
0: Okay. Hold hold it there, Dogs Pete. Let's uh, get the last minute or two just to uh, let people know uh, where they can find more of your information. Thanks for your time. Okay. Okay, so for those people who have called in, thanks for your calls. Uh, There's other people that called in. I don't think they got a chance um, to ask questions, but thank you for trying. Um, For those people who want to find out more about Dr. Pete, his website is www.raypete.com and he's got lots of articles uh, that are fully referenced as only a post-grad student would produce a uh, paper. So lots of references there for all the things that he's saying and uh, for that caller with the uh, brewer's yeast question on diabetes that there's a couple of good articles there on his website which uh, go into great detail about diabetes and the dysfunction uh, that is uh, part of the cause Um, for those people uh, who wanted a call but didn't and just listened uh, Dr. Pete is still doing what he's doing so um, thank you very much Dr. Pete for your tireless effort and until the third Friday of next month uh, what with the solstice coming up here um we'll see you then.